0: From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is a bonus episode of our weekly segment of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. We typically air Green Tagged every Monday, and Green Tagged is our weekly commentary show where we break down the news and discuss why it matters to your haunt. Of course, we're still airing Green Tagged episodes, but since our Hauntathon is currently happening, this is gonna be treated as a bonus episode. Check your feed for today's regular Hauntathon episode. Anyway, here is Scott Swenson and I with this week's installment of Green Tagged Theme Park and 30. Okay, from our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, Florida, this is Green Tagged Theme Park and 30. I'm Philip and my co-host is Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. Hello, Scott.
1: Hey Philip, it's uh it is the season. You know, we're in the midst of the Halloween season, and uh, both of us are still awake, so I think that's a good thing.
0: Well, I'm not sure if I'm awake, but we'll try and get it we'll something. This, see what <laughs> this might, might be a tried.
1: dream. It's a dream.
0: Oh Lord, okay. Well, we're gonna start off this week with the uh, big news from the economic market, and I think, as as in our show fashion, we'll we'll talk about how that relates to our specific niche. But the big news this week was that the WTO sounded warning on global trade. I'll read the excerpt here from Axios. So the world the World Trade Organization today said it expects a sharp slowdown in the global trade next year as higher prices and higher interest rates weigh on output and demand and the specifically import and export volumes will grow 1% in 2023, which is a 2.5% decrease um, over what they expected in April. So I think that the takeaway here, the macro trend, how how that kind of trickles down into impacting individuals is of course that lower income families are more impacted by the interest rates because of borrowing. Like lower income families 10 if you are borrowing out there right your the, the interest rate impacts kind of your monthly nut like kind of the monthly payments that you have for for items that you have loans on right while people that have cash where they can buy stuff outright they're not impacted at all by the interest rates in in that way getting higher because you're just buying it so you're not you're not taking a loan for it or they have enough income where they're they're not impacted as much because the percentage of what they have to spend is not as much going into monthly payments. Yeah, basically. I think,
1: I think that's what you really, I think you really hit the nail on the head there. I think that the reason it impacts l- lower income, uh, families more is because the percentage of interest that they're paying is a larger percentage of their overall income than it is yeah. someone who has, um, a larger, uh, more flush income. You know, it's, it, it's, it's interesting because when, when everything starts to skyrocket and people start to, to close down on, on buying things or investing in things. The ultra rich, oddly enough, um, like, uh, Maseratis and Jaguars sell like yeah. hotcakes during an yeah. unturned economy. And that's because those people who are incredibly wealthy aren't buying an Island, but they feel bad. So they buy a Jaguar, uh, you know, that, so that is their way of cutting back. Um, I think it's similar here in the fact that the reason it impacts the lower income folks is because the percentage, uh, 1% of interest rate is significantly more impactful to the overall interest of, or the overall income of their household than it is to someone who is, is in a higher income bracket. So yeah, yeah I, I think that's interesting. And I think it's something that we should keep definitely keep in mind, um, as you know, as we move forward. So if you're, if your target audience for whatever your attraction is, is in that lower income bracket or even, you know, mid to lower income bracket, um, you might want to just be aware and see if you can come up with some clever ways to either um, do more in park uh, or in event upsells and purchases, or, you know, maybe flatline your pricing for next year. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I just, I just want to make sure that everybody recognizes this so that they don't end up scaring these folks away and and making it so that nobody can come to your, your event.
0: I think there are so many dimensions to think about this on and as, you know, Scott has talked about quite frequently, I think it's really about making a plan and thinking through these different situations and talking about it with your team and looking at the data that you can gather about your guests and where they're coming from and having the conversations, you know, sitting down with the guests if you can. And you know, a lot a lot of attractions do have those focus groups or they have those guests where they can talk to. I, I would say this is a, a thing to kind of talk about their prospects, but but yeah, it, because when the WTO made this announcement, they're looking at it based off of the potential higher energy prices. Like they're looking at everything collectively mm-hmm. and they're making this announcement. But those are all going to be a little slightly different situations, right? But what we do know is, again, it's all going to impact the lower income folks more. So it's kind of the same things we've been talking about, but to a little bit more of an extreme. If gas prices go up even higher, again, that's, again, impacting. Just think about your your families and even another dimension, too, is your workers, too. Thinking about these dimensions, you have workers, you're paying the minimum wage, you know, so you can kind of calculate how much they're taking home monthly. And then you look at an uh, increase in gas will cost them this amount, you know, percentage of their budget. And then if the interest rates keep going up, right, they're not going to be able to get a new car or get take out loans to to get items they might need for work or things like that so i think that not only are you looking at it on the dimension of your customers it and if you are in a market where you're really targeting lower income it's it's gonna there's gonna be a bigger impact on your customers but you're also looking at it on your staff and what your staff can afford and 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 the pressures they're gonna have on on even getting to work
1: and and on a slightly different side of the same coin philip and you're probably more with gantum you're probably more in tune with this than i would be but is is this also going to impact supply chain um even worse than we already have right now uh mainly because of as you said rising energy costs um yeah which in in turn will be rising transportation costs you know we're we're already in a in a situation where uh, supply chains are are tenuous i won't say they're shut down but they're 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 getting better i think but they're still kind of iffy is this going to is this going to block that um in the future if it does indeed come to pass
0: i think it's one of those things where it's kind of like a a trade almost so we have we, we we were hoping that we would see component costs kind of a decrease as more supply of them becomes available that's been the hope for a while but now we're 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 seeing Already, even prices for transport, um, you know, even even freight, ocean freight, mm-hmm. you know, rise significantly. Much less like air freight. So what that does, of course, is it, you know, you you kind of maybe the component costs are getting cheaper, but then you know it's outweighed by transportation costs, right. you know, or whatever. But then also you have to look at well, if if you don't want to increase sharply, sharply, then you're going to have to go ocean freight, which will add three weeks of lead time to products getting there. So you're kind of timelining out three weeks. So I kind of feel like we're back in the same place that we were. It's like, so, you know, when we started the show, it was like pandemic and we were like, make backup plans, analyze all this, talk to your staff, ask them how they're doing X, Y, Z right now. And then, then it was the COVID, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And now we're back to the same thing. Like look at your supply chains and come up with a, a possible secondary option you know if if one of your suppliers is going to have issues with getting things here due to having to ship ship to ocean freight or their shipping is going to be five times the price so they're going to need to up it mm-hmm. look for local stuff and also go back to your team make sure your team's okay because with all the rice with depending on their individual situations that's what makes this so puzzling mm-hmm. is to your point scott like if they're more well off and they're maybe in a higher income bracket they're not going to be nearly as impacted as folks that are going to be, you know, if it, it really just depends on your individual mix, right. whether or not you are trying to get a new lease or you have something where your interest rate has gone up, how much you pay on gas. Like if you live, if you don't commute that far and, and, you know, there's so many of these little elements where you could be completely fine or you could really have your, your monthly disposable income decrease. So it's, I feel like we're back in the same place. Like it's like, I just want to go back.
1: I just want to jump in the wayback machine for a moment and say, you know, in in the very early, early, uh, sessions of this show, we talked about having, um, parallel paths, making parallel plans and, uh, you know, sort of an if then scenario and, Talk through those because even though we may be we may be easing out of the pandemic, um, with this announcement there may be other challenges ahead. And if if you know, the post crisis training that I took uh, during the pandemic told me anything, it was the only way to to be prepared is to stay prepared. So uh, just make sure that you're continuing to have those discussions with your internal team as well as your external customers.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I think we can pivot now (laughs) into some of the takeaways from reporting that I've done uh, recently, because there are quite a few uh, attraction operators and owners that I've been talking to that are thinking about these types of things. And I think it's interesting to look at the concrete ways that, that they're doing it. I always think it's important to look at the concrete examples, right? I think it's important to look at your attraction, to look at your guest mix and think about it in terms of the guest, right? If they're having to spend XY more on their car payment this year and milk has also gone up and gas has gone up, then this is how much budget they have left and then looking at what they're what they would need to sacrifice to pay your thirty dollar ticket or whatever. I think that's that's I also think it's equally useful to look at what individual attractions are doing in that same way mm-hmm. to get granular about it. So I think the first place we will start is Halloween nights at Eastern State Penitentiary. Mm-hmm. And I had a, a fantastic conversation with uh Brett Bertolino there and that is available if you want to listen on of course our uh, the haunted Trashing network podcast feed so you can it's a great conversation kind of ranging all over but overall to give context to the listeners first Halloween nights in Eastern State Penitentiary is the rebranded version of the Halloween event there previously it was called terror behind the walls and with terror behind the walls it was a linear experience that was definitely scary. It it was much more in the classic haunt linear experience. You go through I think it took a while to get through, but it was, it was a long experience. It was Mm -hmm. linear. There wasn't any breaks in it and it was all scary. And the transition that they have been doing for the past uh, two years now is transitioning from a linear to more of a Halloween festival type atmosphere. So they have really leaned into the concept of adding themed bars and lounges to haunts and they also were, they've also, you know, broken it up. So they've added physically a lot more space. They've opened up more space in the penitentiary to allow for holding more people. And they've, so they've taken the same amount of, you know, quote unquote haunts or haunt spaces, but now they're individual haunts that have their own queues. And then they've added more themed bars and, and entertainment then to the main areas. So they've really tried to make it a festival to, So they've widened the footprint to allow for more people to stay on the property at the same time, but they've also widened it. Um, And essentially there's just been some really, really interesting takeaways from Brett is he said, he thought it, that people really needed time to decompress and to think about it. And he's noticed that their visitors really do enjoy the themes and having something that, that makes sense. Like, like it doesn't all need to be one, one story you know, as long as it all fits together. So there's the vampires can have their area. And as long as that makes sense, you know, so everything should make sense, but also, but, and people like to see multiple things, but that they like, he's seen at least that they, they've noticed that it makes sense. But, um, what was really interesting is when I kind of talked about the motivation behind it, like why, you know, it's kind of everything we've been talking about people need time to decompress. You want to capture, Capture them instead of them going to a bar, spending money off site afterwards. You want to capture all of that. And then the really interesting piece was that he noticed that basically they were almost too scary. Like they hit a ceiling in terms of scariness. Like they were deterring people from their market because terror behind the walls is perceived as too scary. And there are some people that didn't want scary. So they're trying to make it a little bit more general where they're still scary. The mazes are still as scary as they weren't previously. But now you can choose if you want to go into the maze or you just want to hang out and, you know, so everybody can show up and then you can decide if you have some friends that want to do the scary stuff or some friends that want to watch entertainment. So it's really been this, this play, kind of like strategic play of moving it more into an event where you really can bring a whole group of people and they can kind of choose the intensity level that they would like to do. And they're still working on the balancing of this event. He said, you know, last year they had two areas that started off as more... Theatrical, I would say, or more, you know, immersive, kind of more um, not scary, not as scary, and guests didn't like it. You know, they wanted like they they, they wanted the mazes to be very scary. So he had to, they had to go in and they had to retool mid season uh, to adjust for guest feedback. So, so a lot of really interesting takeaways, I think, um, that kind of you know tie into this to these plans of really talking to your guests and really examining what they're looking for, and really thinking about um, bringing in a wider swath and what that would entail and velvet ropes. And just, it's a, it's a great example of everything we've been talking about for a while.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've known Brett for a long, long time. And back when I was mm-hmm. at Bush Gardens, he always had this vision uh, for many, many years of taking the Eastern State Penitentiary Halloween event, whatever name it is at any given time and making it more theme park-like. He always, mm-hmm. he always liked the fact that there were opportunities to incorporate merchandise, to incorporate culinary, to give people that breathing time. You know, even if you're just doing a haunt, you have to, you have, to have those moments of decompression or suspense because if you're constantly yelling at people through the whole thing, even if it's a singular scary haunt, it becomes white noise. So when you have that time to decompress, to digest, to build up your courage to go do the next one, it makes the whole overall experience more exciting. Um, I will mm-hmm. say I did not get a chance to experience Eastern State um, Halloween nights this year. I did, however, get a chance to experience last year. and um the thing that I loved about it is he was able to take and 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 his team were able to take the the multiple individual themes and add a bar to it and add yep. a show to it and add so it wasn't it wasn't just random Halloween throw up. it was, Here's a section that's all about this, and here's a section that's all about this, and here's a section that's all about this, and then there were transition areas in between. Um, one of my favorite bars was uh, in the, the VIP entrance of the the Vampire House. Um, they mm-hmm. did a full vampire bar, and it was it was great. And then we went straight as a, a you know with the VIP, and I don't know whether they're still doing this Velvet Rope thing, but with the VIP we went straight into the haunt queue from the bar. So in essence it was queuing in the bar and um, then straight into the straight into the, the haunt itself, which I found remarkably pleasant uh, because I, I could go and have a have a cocktail and when I felt like it I I could enter on into the haunt. Um, yeah. it was it was really neat and, and it was thematically very interesting. Um, it's expanding the haunt outside of the, the, the winding walls, you know, yep. and, yep. and I think that was, I think that was really neat. And to be honest, there were people there who were just hanging out in the vampire bar cause it was darn cool. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, it gives, it gives a much broader, um, experience for the guests. I would guess, I don't know this for a fact, but I would guess that it would increase guest stay. So it's not yeah. something you do and then go somewhere else. It becomes an entire evening worth of evenings worth of entertainment. And, um, I would also imagine that it would make the group sizes larger because, yes. you know, as, as you mentioned, sometimes people, there's somebody in your group who doesn't want to go through the haunt. So they'll go watch the stage show and, uh, and grab a bite to eat while you're going through the haunt. And then when you come out, you grab a cocktail and you all go to the next one. You know, it, it's, yeah. it, it makes, it makes an awful lot of sense. And I will say that this season in general, I'm seeing this, this sort of pendulum swing to um, either more family-friendly or more party-oriented. Um, because I just don't think, I, I think we got to a point where nobody was was coming up with anything more over the top, you know, even mm-hmm. n- now with even more blood, you know, it, you can't, you only get to, you only get to a certain point. Um, I'm not going to say that that's going to stay that way. I think the pendulum will eventually swing back and we'll go to the the, the unique um, extreme opportunities. But, uh, I, I'm seeing that as a trend. I like in the, in the, uh, the haunts that I'm working on this year that are family friendly, they are doing gangbusters, mm-hmm. gangbusters and like undead in the water undead in the water here in Tampa. Um, since it, this is its second year of having moved over to Sparkman Wharf, which is a, uh, food, beverage, hangout place. It's got a bowling alley there. It's a big open space. It's got a bunch of different food truck style restaurants that are all um, in shipping containers because it's on the pier. And they have done so much better in that location because guests now make it a full evening. The nice thing about Eastern State is they're able to do that exact same concept and keep it all within the walls of the prison. And if you've never been to Eastern State Penitentiary, it's gigantic. I mean, it's yeah, it it's huge, and there's a lot of space that you can play mm-hmm. with. Um, there's even some space that is not. I still think there's some space that's not being utilized, just simply because mm-hmm. of it's either historic content or whatever. Um, but it's it's an amazing location, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun to, to go. Check it out if you're in Philly. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, I there's 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 a lot of kind of parallels I think between it, but I think. In essence, moving over to that model is kind of like uh, what we've been talking about about um, kind of just thinking about your backups and having different different revenue streams. It, mm-hmm. it it also what it does is it it also basically it it gives the guest kind of more perceived value and and maybe I mean more actual value for their their dollar, which which kind of helps in in, in what you know when you're. Again, when you're thinking about the individual customer and they're making their decision, do I want to bring my friend group, my family, You know, am I going to this event or this event? And they're looking at it and it's like, well, if this now is a whole night, it's a whole evening where they can come and spend a very a whole, you can do them at your leisure, you can go through the different, five different experiences, plus look at the, hang out at the bars, watch the shows. I mean, it's a, it's a lot, much longer evening. I think that that factors into that decision a lot better than if you're going to just go, one and done, you go to a physical haunt. you, you just walk through and then you leave. And then what do you do? You know, this is kind of giving them a more, a longer perceived value. And then to Scott's point previously about making sure that you, you did have those things available, like, you know, the ticket price is, is I think relatively low for, for, for this event, it's, you know, 34 to 49, depending on the, the day, you know, so that there's, there's budget friendly times you can go definitely. But then there's also the velvet ropes there's plenty of them mm-hmm. you know there's there's the food you can buy there's the bar experiences you can buy there's the vip you can buy there's the merch i mean there, there's different levels so if you if you want to go and you are in the higher income bracket you bring a whole group of your friends and you buy them vip and you have your own experience versus if you are a family trying to save a little bit then you can go on the budget night with your family and Spend the whole evening, mm-hmm. you know, hang out, wait in the lines, hang out, do the whole thing. Take public transit because remember this is located too in a the mm-hmm. middle of the city area, mm-hmm. so you can take public. You don't have to pay for parking. I mean, you can take transit. So I, I, I really think that this is this is a a, strate- a good strategic move that's kind of put them in a better competitive position, you know, for for potentially this, you know, what the WTO is talking about.
1: Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's diversification, and I think it's, uh, and and in that market, there's really nothing like this. There's nothing. Correct. That's the other thing I was. So so it it if it's not already controlling the market, it will soon. It makes total sense.
0: Mm -hmm. I I did I I uh, kind of dropped that to him, and he didn't take the bait. (laughs) 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 He's he's smart. He's a smart one. Smart cookie. Um, but uh, the. I did, he did say something else too that I thought was very interesting where he says, uh, if you get scared and it doesn't appear on social media, did you really get scared? And we haven't, we haven't talked about that in a while or the concept of the making it social, but that was another big element of their, their consciously creating photo moments because of course, you know, you, when you have a linear haunt experience, you're not going to put a photo moment in the middle of the, the haunt and kill your throughput. Right. So, this also allows them to do a lot more photo moments. I thought that was a a cute little line.
1: It's it's interesting because that's that's so true, and not just in in the scary stuff. Um, if you didn't if you didn't have a good time at a family friendly, or if if you have a good time at a family friendly uh, Halloween event and it doesn't hit social media, did you really have a good time at a family friendly event? Um, all of my clients, I have them, uh, I have photo ops all over the place, and I always mm-hmm. encourage them to make certain that they have. And it's it's basic stuff, but people forget it. Make sure that you have a logo of uh, yeah. what your what your experience is. And this is true in Halloween, in Christmas, in just daily theme park operations. And also put the year on it. Because then yeah. it becomes an ongoing collector stamp. It's like, oh, we got our we always get our photo taken at this particular photo spot and and so if I get it with a, a, a year, because to change a year sign costs nothing. And it just kinda guarantees or, or reinforces um, Re- repeat visitation. Yeah. And we've even looked at ways to to make it so that there's there's posting scavenger hunts um, mm-hmm. throughout attractions, so that again, it hits social media.
0: Yeah, I, I want to add to that. Um, having gone to a bunch of events and and being there as a media person thinking about photos <laughs> constantly, right? Make sure it is lit. Mm-hmm. And make sure that people understand, kind of like give them room. It's kind of like a little bit like improv, give them the tools to have fun Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like I step and repeats are fine. You know, some of these things are fine, but you know, you kind of need, people need to know what they could do um, with the area. And one of the best photo op zones I have seen is actually from fear factory and they have a whole zone that's just photo ops and they are scenes like there's six of them that are well lit. They have nice, nice, um, you know, flattering lighting you know, that you would have in like a bathroom kind of flattering lighting, but they are all scenes. And so one is like, um, a bathroom scene where it's like a gross bathroom and there's toilets of people. So, and you can, and one is like, uh, characters you can pose with. And, and so, so there's, there's different options for people, but also you can, there's things they can do, right. They can walk into it and they can make their pose and do their unique thing. And that's just so much more interesting for the guests than just standing you know, there in front of a step and repeat and not knowing where to look and, and there's no light. There are,
1: and there are companies out there that are providing these. They're just making these off the shelf. I mean, there's a shooting a zombie in the back of the head where all you have to do is walk yeah. up and take hold of the gun and it looks like you've captured the moment where you've shot a zombie in the back of the head. That was the yeah. that was the buzz of, of the trans world show a couple of years ago. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody got their picture taken with it. Um, so I- incorporate those, incorporate those. Cause yeah. And, and I think Philip hit the nail on the head. Make sure it's something they can do, not just stand in front yeah. of you, but actually do.
0: Yeah, there. Um, that was actually one of my big complaints with uh, a ween And that is the event that the entire premise is that you are bringing your family in. And really what it's for is for parents to bring their kids and put their kids in different situations to take pictures of them. <laughs> that's, that's really what it's for. Um, And uh, there's a lot of areas there that are not really lit conducive to taking photos. Mm-hmm. Like they're lit to look cool, which is different than lit for taking a good photo. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to leave it there. But anyway, okay. <laughs> so the, the I think the the next one that to talk a little bit about is SeaWorld San Diego. This year is the second year of SeaWorld San Diego. And they have definitely come in and, and, and changed the event up a little bit from its original inception. Um, I think that the two big things they've done is they've, cleaned up the scare zones with scripts this year. And I I know, because I actually know the the show writer for for that, that that came over. But I think, you know, again, I I thought it was noticeable where, again, I think there's little things, right? Like just having a script for your scare zones and giving them characters and giving them sample lines to say and things to do. Like, those are the little things that make a big difference with the guests because the scare zones are where people spend the time in. So where they take the photos in, like we were just talking about. It's where they have the time to decompress. And that's when they have time to pay attention to the story. It's <laughs> not when they're screaming, you know, through a thing. So I really, I, I thought that that shone through, especially with their La Llorona area, having the weeping women actually weeping, having them have lines, having them singing lullabies to the babe. I and mean, there's a lot of pieces in there that they work really well. Um, they also, this year, they added bars into the mazes, which is the thing that we've seen, you know, for a while, the kind of the, the bars inside of it. Um, I think, again, it's that velvet rope thing that you're trying to make an exclusive piece of content to put, you know, a, a bar inside of a maze itself. I just think that, um, in this case, I think that the the operations were a little not great on it. You know, it, it was done in a way where maybe they'll figure it out, but operationally it, it wasn't quite working. And the other thing is the hidden, the quote unquote hidden bar, um, it was just a room made of flats inside of the maze, wh- which um, is not as impactful as when you have, a, basically you need a way for other people to see that these people get into the secret bar so that they look cool. And then B, the secret bar, like it needs to be cool. Mm-hmm. It can't just be like a, a broom closet, mm-hmm. you know. And ideally, also inside the bar, you can spy out or look out or somehow like see the maze. You know, you have to feel like you're in the middle of it, right? So, so you kind of need that way to make it work. Yeah, you but, don't
1: want to you don't want to step out of the experience. You have to. It yeah. has to be an enhancement to the experience you're already in. It's not yes. escaping the experience. So then you have to ramp up when you get back. Um, yeah. And and it's interesting because I don't know about SeaWorld San Diego, but I will say that in many, many theme park settings, when you start to do something like that, um, things that involve multiple departments quite often require a lot more planning than anybody ever anticipates because you have to make certain that it works as a bar. So you have to get your culinary folks in there and you have to make sure that it works as an entertainment experience. And nine times out of 10, one uh, one of those sides will just turn it over to the other to execute <laughs> it, and and it, it's not it, it doesn't have the amalgam or the overlap of of multiple departments, which is what it really needs. You also need to get the operations department involved because it does impact um, throughput. It does impact flow mm-hmm. in the yeah, does. so you have yep. to be able to make sure that when they when they merge back in, it doesn't create yet another problem. Um, when you're trying to uh, identify them and pull them out, it doesn't create another problem. So it is a it is a multi-departmental issue, but once you get everybody um, talking the same language and kind of drinking the same Kool-Aid, then you can create something pretty amazing and it's it can be an awful lot of fun. So that may be something that SeaWorld San Diego is is learning. And I certainly hope so because I love the idea. And and we've seen, as you say, we've seen other other parks do it. And, um, so hopefully they can continue to build on this, this, uh, this change this year.
0: Yep. Um, the, the last one I can fit in here right at the end, uh, is, uh, delusion and, and mainly that takeaway there was delusion was working to is, he told me in the interview that he was thinking of how they can adapt their stories they've already written, but shoot them later for film to kind of have this extended universe. And that's, again, uh, a little bit related to what we're talking about in, in just that you already have this asset we've talked about before reusing your assets, you've already written the script, you've already put the work into the story. If you shoot it for film, then you can make it accessible for a wider audience, which, you know, in, in theory could, could help with just like the Disney model, right? Where they have the IP they're building. Um, again, whether or not it's going to pay off, you know, cause Disney has a, a much larger engine. So whether or not you could, you could it's, it's going to end up making you money for being a small venue like that. And whether or not the IP is going to be strong enough to kind of push demand, those are to be determined. But uh, I thought it was an interesting I, concept of we've we've already all written scripts already, right? So just like a, you know, and he's already uh, been in film his whole career. So kind of just adapting it to film.
1: Yeah, I, I think that this goes back to what we've said over and over again. If you can't afford buying someone else's intellectual property, create your own. And, mm-hmm. uh, and to your point, if it's strong enough, great. If it's not you know, all you have to do is earn your money back by attending four or five film festivals, getting it out there. If you make your money back, it's free advertising for your haunt. So it's, mm-hmm. it's potentially a win-win scenario. Um, you just have to make sure you're making the film on the appropriate budget. So, my friends, that is the end of another Green Tag theme park in 30. Uh, Thank you again for for listening. Let us know what you think. We hope you uh, continue to enjoy us rambling each week. And on behalf of Philip Hernandez from Gantam Lighting and the Haunted Attraction Network and myself, Scott Swenson from Scott Swenson Creative Development, we will see you next week.
0: Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope and original music composed by Chris Thomas. We're counting down to Halloween with daily podcasts, videos, and events in our 61-day Haunt-a-thon. Follow along at the link in our show notes. Our haunt is made possible through generous support from Gantam Lighting and Controls. Gantam illuminates attractions worldwide with the world's smallest intelligent spotlights. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. That's gantam.com demo. Our Hauntathon team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Our partners for this year's Hauntathon include Sharp Productions, HorrorBuzz.com, ScareTrack, TheScareFactor.com, and Hauntopic Radio. The best way you can support us this Halloween season is by sharing our Hauntathon with someone you think will enjoy it. And to follow along to our Hauntathon, sign up for our weekly newsletter at HauntedAttractionNetwork.com. We'll catch you back here tomorrow and every day until Halloween. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.